Alright, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. Today is a very special episode because I get to chat with Dr. Charlie Weingroff, one of my heroes in the industry as I've been following his career probably since the day I started in this industry. So this was a very special moment for me in my career that I got to actually chat with him and talk shop. So this episode is filled with a lot of great information from the rehab side and getting Charlie's opinion on you know, everything I brought up. So it was kind of cool to get his take on everything. And hopefully this is as much value as it was to me. Here we go, here's Charlie. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me is a legend, Charlie Weingroff. Say hello. Uh, what's up, man? Uh, it's, uh, I learned something new all the time. I didn't know I, didn't know I was a legend, and uh, <laughs> I like to think that legends die, so I don't, I don't know if I want to be a legend. <laughs> nice. Uh, so I like to break the ice for my audience always with every guest and ask them, what do you got planned for the weekend? I'm working uh, all day tomorrow, and uh, uh, it, it might be a, a last-second opportunity to head into the city. And uh, of course, I'm being presumptuous that the rest of the world knows the, the city as New York City, uh, where uh, WWE will be in town. So I called in for some tickets, but usually Madison Square Garden gets sold out. So I don't know that uh, we're gonna make that make that trip tomorrow night. And uh, and then I don't have anything scheduled Sunday, which is uh, the first day of nothing since uh, since I came back from our uh, Canada basketball uh, window. I got back on. I was supposed to get back Monday night, but I got back Tuesday morning because the flight from Ottawa was canceled. Uh, so I still worked uh, Tuesday, and I'm not really sure what day is today. So. <laughs> nice. And uh, since that you are in New York, like, what's the thing to do? If someone came for the very first time in New York and had no clue what to do, what would you recommend to them? Well, I don't live in New York City, so uh, and I don't even live in New York State. So, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, dude, there's so much. I, I don't really know. Like, if no one, if people haven't seen uh, New York City, you you're probably it, it's good to take like one of those like duck tours or tour, mm -hmm. you know these like open air bus tours just to get an idea because you could be in New York City in the general area for probably like you know over a week. But a lot of cities you could do that. It's not like only New York, but. At least the East Coast cities where I've been, you you can't really have a one day. Yeah, particular. Yeah. Also, you know, if you're not American, I don't know that you care about a lot of the things that New York has to offer in terms of like the Statue of Liberty or or um, some of the um, memorials, if you will. It wasn't uh, if it's not your country, maybe you don't have a lot of emotion uh, for those things. But uh, yeah, like. I would just say, like, what do you want to do, or what have you heard about, and like, you can now see it and touch it, because uh, yeah, New York's not the only place, but like New York and London and uh, Tokyo and some of these places where you just hear so much about some of these things, you can actually stand there of, of these places that you see on TV, uh, L.A., Chicago, etc. So. Um, you want to eat something? What do you want to eat? You want New York pizza? We go get New York pizza. You know, yeah. so uh, you wanna you wanna see certain thing. Well, I, I uh, this movie like was set in this neighborhood. 
okay, well, see, there's a little New York accent. I said neighborhood, but uh, how about like Daredevil happens in Hell's Kitchen? I yeah. want to go to Hell. I want to go to Hell's Kitchen. I said, okay, like 57th and 10th. I said, let's go. <laughs> you know? So uh, yeah, I, I don't. New York City is almost like Vegas to me. Like I can't really be there more than a like a couple days uh, yeah. uh, consecutively. But uh, yeah, if somebody came, there, I'd be like, yeah, this is. Uh, I like Vegas better than New York for my tastes, mm-hmm. but uh, you can really do anything. So I'm happy you brought up Daredevil because I was gonna ask you at the end of the show, but um, what did you think of like the Marvel TV series? Like I personally really really like Daredevil, Luke Cage, but Iron Fist I wasn't too happy about. So I'm kind of yeah. curious about your opinion. So, it was it was a combination of the of the lousy reviews Iron Fist got and then just where I was in my uh, social schedule. So I saw everything up to that. So that means I think I saw two the first and second season of Daredevil. I saw Luke Cage and I saw Jessica Jones. I don't think there would have been anything else. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought they were all very good. I mean, it's just like the first time you see like heavy gore, it's like oh my god, that like what level of special effects and 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 makeup are they doing? Um, I mean, oh my god. Uh, in, in the first Daredevil, when um, um, when Kingpin kills his dad, yeah. you know, from I'm like, oh my god, like that looks so real. You know? um, uh, I, I find it interesting that uh, Kingpin can uh, unrack and and bench five wheels uh, 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 with no spotter. I think that's that's very interesting. He appears to have uh, an ungodly amount of money to uh, buy off all of NYPD. That's a little bit of a stretch. Uh, I thought um, Luke Cage was interesting because, particularly in the southern parts of Harlem, where you can you can feel safe and walk around. I'm not sure that's the case in uh, more northern parts. So there's a, there's places that that either represents or are actual real places, and uh, you can like actually see them. But I thought that with like the I thought that it was very interesting that they um, actually went to. What if that if that if Luke Cage happened in like the eight early 80s? That clearly would have been black exploitation. Like it was, you know, the very very traditional um, views of of uh, of African Americans in that society, and they and you know, they went that direction. And um, Jessica Jones, I like watching, but to know what she's like in real life, which is nothing like Jessica Jones, uh, it's kind of like ah oh, man, like it's like. She's like the total opposite of Jessica Jones. I remember uh, I was talking to another Marvel Cinematic Universe client, and and she's, she's like, well, why do you think why do you even think I know her? I'm like, well, you guys are in the same universe. She's like, don't ever say that again. <laughs> so, awesome. But I never I never saw Iron Fist. I imagine if I ever have time, maybe I will, but I really don't foresee that. So. <laughs> no, fair enough. Um, so let's switch gears and like actually get into this interview. And since because this is the first time you're on my show, I would love to get a, like a little intro on you of like who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry in the first place? Um, well, how did I get into the industry? Uh, I got to undergrad um, to become uh, what you have in Canada is called uh, an athletic therapist. Mm-hmm. Athletic therapist, I, I tend to think, and I actually not tend to, I, I believe this, and I'm allowed to do that since I'm a 
uh, a government employee of your of your country. So I see <laughs> I see a lot of athletic therapists. It's it's typically a. a I think the entry level is probably the same as America, but the workplaces cultivate a much more uh, robust professional in Canada. But it's kind of the same. A certified athletic trainer and a uh, athletic therapist are, are kind of like on par. And uh, while I was going through undergrad for that, my advisor was like, "You should look into PT school." I said, "It's not what I want to do," but the, she was like, uh, "Her name was Dr. Tina Whalegum." And uh, she said, like, you have the grades. The worst thing that could happen is that you'll be more marketable for the athletic trainer jobs that you want. So that's pretty much exactly what happened. And uh, after I, got, I went right to physical therapy school. I graduated college in three years and then went to PT school. And uh, while I was in PT school, I got my first opportunity in, uh, in professional basketball. And from there, pretty much... The next 12 years I was in basketball, for a few years I wasn't, uh, and then went to uh, United States Marine Corps to handle stuff that, you know, in our world, what we talk about in terms of training and rehab, and then came back and started to work on my own, and I guess that's where <laughs> the internet and podcasts and, you know, social media recognition kind of began, uh, or really blew up for me, I think, you know, probably before I went to Marine Corps, um, you know, the, this stuff had kind of kind of started. So uh, I was always an athletic trainer, but then when I got to Philadelphia 76ers in the early part of 2000s, uh, they did not have a strength coach. And based on how I look, which maybe you can see through uh, this video, uh, the, play, the players expected me to know how, how to handle uh, a barbell or a dumbbell. So uh, after my first year, I became the head strength coach, uh, probably because of how I looked and how the players expected me. Now, I knew how to handle weights, but I wasn't a strength and conditioning coach. I was an athlete trainer and a physical therapist. And that summer, a lot of things, uh, because I, I dug in and, and because of the support that the Sixers gave me, uh, I remember you know, rededicating and seeing what, what at that time was contemporary. And I started to see that, uh, particularly for that setting, uh, that's really where the mindset of train equals rehab started because, you know, that's where the rehab, you know, the things that I was, I was more exper more experienced at, not good at, I don't really think I'm good at anything, uh, was, was really the, this, the, the slant, if you will, on, on fitness and, and training. And then really everything from there kind of brought me to, you know, where there's people out there that don't even know I'm a physical therapist. Uh, there's people out there that don't even know um, I'm a strength coach. They only look at me as one versus the other. And it is not a simple question for me to answer. Uh, it's a very fair question. And people would say, well, if you can't answer a question in like, you know, one or two sentences, it's not, you know, you, it's not a good question. But so I think it's a very good question. But because I don't think in those terms, and 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 I'm there, there's very few uh, uh, environments that I don't consider uh, things that other people would call training or other people would call therapy. And uh, I do think it's a, it's somewhat of a unique mindset. I do think um, you know if we look back several years, you know Charlie Francis had that mindset. Vern Gambetta had that mindset. Um, all, most of the Eastern European stuff had that mindset, but in the in a Western approach, <clears throat> I wasn't the first because, you know, at my age that would be ridiculous to suggest that somehow I'm a pioneer of anything. None of us are pioneers. We just might put different words, or you know, we dig dig deep into the chest and you found something that that was old and we make it new again. But uh, as far as uh, in a in the modern you know, in the modern era, you know, maybe somehow described as the uh, 
the internet era, uh, I think uh, I was some probably an early adopter, at least as a public messenger, of this in one way saying blurring the lines, but in reality just looking at things from a broader scope because I had the experience uh, from both a healthcare and a fitness background very, very early in my career. Uh, so I think that might be, uh, I'm certainly not the only one, I'm certainly not the best. Uh, it's very flattering to have people that I really respect be like, Charlie, you you changed you know, the way people look at strength and conditioning. And whether that's true or not, it's not important to me. There's no championship belt for changing how people look at things. Um, you know, we, uh, I'm very uh, excited if, if indeed that's true and uh, how you can positively affect uh, a lot of people in a lot of different ways. All right, so I'm gonna try to unravel all of that. That was awesome. Um, I'm kind of curious like when you decided that you wanted to go into PT school, Looking back at it now, like, would you ever consider going down the chiropractic route or maybe something else? Very difficult to say because I can't, uh, listen, you know, zebra doesn't change his stripes. So obviously there might be somebody who doesn't care for what I'm going to say. Uh, my opinion uh, of how the public uh, views uh, physical therapy and chiropractic are very, very different. I don't think that for the worlds that I got into, particularly pro sports, um, I would have been able to accomplish that as a chiropractor. In fact, some of my job descriptions required me to be a physical therapist, including getting back to the 76ers, which was my second uh, opportunity in the NBA. So, I mean, the reality is, is the last time I checked, the human systems work all the same, whether you're a chiropractor or a physical therapist. Uh, I think if a chiropractor and a physical therapist are blatantly different than one another, there's an issue. Like there's something that's not right here. Uh, a chiro shouldn't be doing different than a PT and a PT. I remember, uh, you know, I was just utterly shocked that there's a rehab certification for chiropractor. Like I didn't even understand what it meant and explaining it to me that, yeah, because traditional chiropractic, they don't do any of those things. You go and get this other form of education. I'm like, so, so like, I didn't even understand that. To me, that's that's very offensive to think that any form of uh, manual therapy alone is the only thing you can do. Now, if I brought that to the to the opportunities that I had, I would have been not. I would not have been chosen. So I can't go back and say that. At uh, when I mentor folks now, uh, and 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 uh, young or old or whatever, they're able to articulate what they want to do when they wake up and who they want to see while they're working and what they want to do when they get home, uh, most of the time it doesn't matter uh, if you go to PT uh, or Cairo because it's the opportunity to get into certain education uh, routes and and also have, uh, you know, be able to put a shingle up and, and be able to have a license that allows you to do more uh, without the uh, exposure legally than what if you didn't have those degrees. It really shouldn't matter now. And even to some degree, depending on what you want to do, uh, being a massage therapist, which clearly in Canada is a far, far more respected uh, profession than it is in the United States in most states. So it really shouldn't matter, but I can't, I can't tell you that. Like there's no way I would have got to the NBA uh, if I was a Cairo instead of a PT, like there's no shot, no shot. Nope. And it's just the way, just the way people look at it, whether it's right or wrong, it's just the way people look at it. Oh, fair enough. Um, the next thing I was gonna say is like your whole like term of like 
training equals rehab. Like, I think it's brilliant. Like, that's... I, I, right. <laughs> I, I always, like, say that to my clients because, like, the way I look at training is that if someone has achy joints or they just don't feel good and because they've been sitting at a desk for, like, years without end, and I always tell them, like, if you have a sound program and you just start moving, like, normal training would be your rehab just to move and feel better. So I'm kind of curious, like, how did you come up with that term? Like, where did uh... that inspiration come from? So, so at the at the time, um, I had done the website, which I never really thought I wanted to do because I didn't think I could be consistent uh, with quality content. No, I, I uh, people were I was wrong. Other people were right. And then the next push, you know, was like, there's so much, there's too much money to be made. You can help too many people. Um, yeah, so you got to do a DVD. And I just did what I thought. Now, the, the content of the DVD in my head came before the title, uh, because when people were helping me, uh, largely at that point, uh, two fellows by the name of Anthony Renna, who runs strengthcoach.com and has uh, podcasts, and, and another one, uh, not, not as well known, named Vince Chen, who uh, was a trainer in, uh, in New Jersey, near where I lived. They were the two, you know, uh, put help, you know, the, the big push to to get things uh, off the ground. We just needed a title, and and that's just it, it, it's just how I think. And because of the influences that I had and the experience that I had, uh, I was able to. I hate the term bridge the gap. I don't like it. You, you, I think you would agree, and most people that hear me, they never hear me use that terminology for a number of reasons. Um, it, it's just wrong. I don't think there's a gap. That's the thing. There's no bridge. It's all one thing, and it's just different techniques when you evaluate the system completely. So the DVD was about uh, demonstrating at that time uh, how trainers – could be part of the rehab process. So if I show you everything that a trainer should be looking for and doing, now the therapist or Cairo would have more time to do the things that only they're really, really good at. And it wasn't like everybody should do everything. I think to a degree, everyone should know everything. Uh, and and that with that in mind, uh, I was trying to demonstrate that what we're all doing is uh, influencing the system to create a more desirable organism. And, and one of the things that I've never let go of from the first DVD, which is now, that stuff was conceptualized in 2009. I mean, we're almost 10 years from the, the, the date of, the, of when that material, when I started doing those PowerPoints. Uh, if we didn't say training and rehab, then we can't really attach these interventions to certain people. Because it's, it's people that have certain degrees or education, and they're the only ones allowed to do that. And that's not necessarily what I believe. I believe if you've got the skills to pay the bills, then you should be the one to do it. Now, that gets into hot water because I'm deciding who has the skills, not someone else. And, of course, other people, they want to help. Their altruism may or may not be in question. But you know, you mentioned, of course, uh, before we uh, – before we got online, it's not important to repeat it because I actually think it's a very, very good course. But when people take that course, they think they got the skills. And it's absolutely ridiculous to think that uh, they can do rehab just because this other course, which is following you know, my early adoption of a similar message, that it, it, the, the science of the body doesn't change based on you know, what your degree is. Yeah. So um, if we said that there was a, 
uh, a quality which saw there was some value on if it was beneath an industry standard we had to restore the industry standard that's rehab now the, the if there if the quality was already at industry standard and the the emphasis was to improve the industry standard then then that would be training so now if we say restore and improve qualities uh, we're twisting around really what what's happening and taking out the people involved, and we're looking at things in more of an objective, agnostic way. And with that in mind, it, a therapist or a trainer can both restore uh, human qualities. A therapist and a trainer can improve qualities. It doesn't matter as long as we look at the, the system in as a complete way as possible, and then the right person carries the football. And I think that's where the problem is. Everybody wants to carry the football. So they, because of a little bit of what I've done and, and what sometimes other people have done, putting rehab information into the hands of non-healthcare professionals, it's not that they're not intelligent to execute, it's that they don't have the experience to know when not to do it. And, uh, and they're not even good at what they're supposed to be doing, which is actually uh, improve qualities. So that was really where the name came from and, and the thought process, but also how I think I made some, some very, very uh, dangerous mistakes. There was nothing on there that broke moral or ethical standards, in my opinion, because I didn't show any techniques uh, or methodology that a non-healthcare professional would be breaking the law doing. Uh, but. It's the same way, like a healthcare professional is not necessarily breaking the law by training somebody, but it should be against the law to suck at training someone. And so it's not just trainers doing healthcare things, it's also healthcare folks doing training things, but they're not good at it. And and that's really where the second and the third DVD uh, and my own evolution in, in the, and also guided by my experiences, which is really the workplaces that I've been in and the courses the, uh, and information that I've been exposed to uh, continued that message in, in a, to evolve that we're all painting the same picture. We all just have different, we're good at different paint strokes. We might be good at different colors, but we're all painting the same picture. And that, that's really where that title came from. No, that was really well said. And like, what I've been noticing is there's a lot of coaches that are kind of almost dipping their toes too far into physical therapy when they shouldn't. And it doesn't help when there's like courses out there where you can take an instrument and start <clears throat> scraping the crap out of people's calves and lats and traps to improve their movement. And it, I, I don't know, like when I watched your first DVD, I didn't, I wasn't under the influence that I was gonna, you know, start becoming a PT or anything. I just like, oh, this is good information. But a lot yeah. of coaches are just like, oh my God, now I can start treating people with pain. And I'm like, no. Don't do yeah. that. Don't do yeah. that. Well, keep, keep in mind, if someone has pain, it doesn't mean that the non-healthcare per person doesn't have a role in their day-to-day -day process. It means that, that they should be doing things, which they could access from the first DVD, of uh, which is just sound scientific approach of uh, intervening upon chunked or parts of the system that are not uh, experiencing pain. So uh, while you were, uh, I, I did a good enough job to uh, influence perhaps you, I think uh, I'm not so brazen to think that, that you know, I, I think that DVD as well as the floodgates that opened thereafter of lots of courses where they might be doing the same thing and not showing them things 
Uh, look, scraping is a great example. Any jackbag can can get a scraper and scrape you, and that person may have benefit from that. What my concern is is that when that person does not have uh, X years of X hours per day of scraping under many, many different situations, they don't know when not to do it. So if scraping doesn't work in the way that it's supposed to, they keep doing it. Or when, when you're not supposed to scrape that person at all, they scrape. It's not that they're not good enough to actually scrape. It's not that they don't understand the science. It's that they don't, because those courses don't tell you when not to do it. Those courses, oh yeah, yeah, do this for everybody. This is all you need. And that's, and that's a, a very devious uh, approach that is never disseminated. You know, what, what somebody says at dinner, trust me, ain't the same thing they're saying in front of the room when they're, when they're charging 895, which is fine with me. Like, I don't, that, that, that in itself doesn't offend me. It offends me that they're not open about it because I'm open about everything. And look, if, if people um, can support their families uh, in the way that they so choose, what I really wish was that there was uh, a much better filter on the part of the learner and a much, much uh, precise strainer on the information where, you know, to tell people, no, dude, don't you dare do this. Like, uh, like go work with somebody else and do this together. Uh, you're telling me one is better than two. Uh, but if I say that and I'm teaching a course now, you're going to go take another course and not mine. And you won't take my level two or my level three. And there's nothing wrong with level twos and level threes. But you know the, the best courses, in my opinion, are the ones that really push you into other courses so everybody eats. And, uh, and, and you can start to peel away the, the things that should be strained out, uh, whether it's the strainer from the educator standpoint or the, uh, or the filter on the part of the learner. Uh, maybe you had a good filter uh, the, or the one that I would want you to have uh, back in 2009. Uh, but you know, that's, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of courses where it's, it's uh, people that are really, really great at rehab but don't know jack shit about training. Uh, and, and it's not all, the, the system works the same way at the top of the snow globe, but it doesn't, it doesn't always work that way, uh, particularly when the priorities are to improve um, qualities, not restore them. So it's a, I mean, that's just a social commentary. In the end, it doesn't matter. You know, people can do what they do. And uh, I just hope that when people listen to this, maybe some portion of, we'd be like, oh my God, yeah, like, you know, like when you not experts know when not to do things. Well, then go back to your little manual or go back to when you recorded the course. How many times did they tell you don't do this? And it's probably very, very few. And, and uh, you know, no. Oh, my God. Like, no, I'm not showing you this because you're going to do it. And I'm not and, I, and I'm not even going to. And I do that in courses like I'm like, OK, maybe I'll show you something. And like uh, if you ask any questions, I'm, I'm not going to answer them. What I'm going to show you is that someone else can accomplish something way better than you can. And I'd like you to seek them out and work together because there's probably something that you're really good at that they can't do. And, and, and I, it's, it's a mentorship. And it's probably why uh, for other reasons, you know, sometimes you know, I don't really get 80 to 100 people in a course anymore. I used to. Um, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of the people that have those very, very open-ended, uh, 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 almost spiritual message, it, they're, they're both, they're all kind of going by the wayside in, in favor of just show me what to do and I'll do it. And you get a very, very low level learner, a, a very, uh, uh, minimally, uh, discerning, uh, uh, customer and they, they eat that shit up and it's, uh. 
That's okay. It's 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 just a social commentary, and I don't think anybody's beating their kids or uh, you know doing things illegal. It's just stuff that I. It's not my thing, and and uh, it's uh it's not what train equals rehab means, even though it could easily be uh, misinterpreted that way. No, fair enough. Um, I'm also kind of curious, like how your system is when you have a new client that hired you. Like, how do you attack? that person to make them successful because with all of your experience and the fact that you're a PT, like how do you structure a program or a system for an individual? I mean, it all, it all starts with the, the first thing that I say to somebody, usually I'm holding the door uh, for the office and as they sit down and I walk around the treatment table and have a seat, um, I'm like, you know, how can I help you? And that's, it's like, what are they, what are they there for? And a lot of times I see people for very, very short periods of time. Uh, so I have to prioritize things and there's like uh, usually extended forms of communication, but it's like, how can I help? And if there's a lot of things, they cannot all be intervened upon in a short period of time. So I'll say then, okay, it sounds like you have this. Would you rather learn some of these exercises? Uh, would you rather talk about, you know, some of the program challenges that I think are contributing to this? Or would you like me to try to make your shoulder feel better? Uh, and even then, if I make your shoulder feel better, I'm not sure it's going to last. So it's uh, you know now it's it's not only the amount of uh, exposure that I have with a new a new client or new patient, but it's also what do they want? And um, you know, there's nothing wrong with making edu uh, adult educated decisions. So a lot of it is based on what they want. Usually it can be delivered, uh, just not in the amount of time. You know, the, I remember talking to sometimes police officers. They're like, yeah, we can do everything that they do on TV. We just can't do it in 42 minutes. So, uh, you know, if I see somebody for an hour, uh, all I guarantee is that I'll do the best I can to solve as many of your puzzles as I can within the time that we're scheduled. I can't do more. So uh, that's, that's really how I start to prioritize things. What techniques I use or how I make certain decisions, some of that will be based upon what they have access to after me. So I, uh, can, can you go to a therapist and tell them to do this? Or I can't make anybody do anything. Sometimes they'll follow what I, what I say, you know, where you know, we should be using healthcare instead of healthcare using us. Uh, you've never seen a kettlebell before, okay? I'm gonna tell you, I think kettlebell is the best choice from my opinion, but we're not gonna do it because you can't carry that out. So all those logistics come into how I would uh, decide. And then how do I use certain manual therapies or certain passive therapies? Uh, I, I can't tell you. Sometimes you just see it and you break out this tool uh, based on the, the patterns and the, and the presentations and signs and symptoms that you're seeing uh, through the SFMA if they're in pain. No, fair enough. Um, the next thing I wanted to get into is like your opinion on certain you know, therapies, because there's a lot to choose from out there. And I believe you do dry needling, correct? Yeah, we got to be careful here, because if I don't want to answer one. Uh, <laughs> so so, so when you say dry needling, that's totally fine. Yeah. Don't don't ask me uh, a commercial name. Sure, that's fair All enough. Right? So yeah. now we can, we can talk about, you know, the, the, the scientific or at least the anecdotal merit of the technique without addressing a person or their company. Yeah. Because uh, usually that's where the real problem is. The techniques is not the problem. It's the things that they do to, uh, to, 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 to package it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, like, what's your opinion about dry needling? Because, like, out here in Canada, I've, I've been exposed to dry needling probably since 2009. 
because the physiotherapists I worked with, they all went to Australia for their PT school, and they're kind of heavily influenced on getting that extra certification or whatever, and implemented that into their practice. And I believe in the states, only certain states are allowed to be treated by dry needling. I think that's correct. I can't remember. So uh, di uh, different professions will have different uh, practice acts in each state, just like you would have in different provinces. Uh, some require no further uh, certification. Some, it's absolutely a felony if you get caught doing it. So uh, that being said, uh, I first learned dry needling while in the United States Marine Corps, of which there are no rules. So uh, it, it, so that's and then uh, in New Jersey, used to be able to do it. Some places you can do it. Some places it says you can. Some it doesn't say whether you can. It doesn't say whether you can't. It's a it is a somewhat of a quagmire. Uh, it is it is hands down the most powerful. Um, how will I say myofascial. Uh, manual therapy that I that I have access to. Uh, it is it, it can uh, when applied uh, to the right environment, uh, the organism impacts the the fastest and with the longest half life, if you will, meaning the effects last, which gives us a better opportunity to regain uh, motor control in this in this system. So uh, it's it's uh, I think um, you know the. The, the literature that shows when you put a needle into a body is robust in terms of the humoral level, the hormonal level, the central level, and the objective uh, movement appraisal. I'm not talking about touching, because that only has very, that has good intra-rater reliability. It does not have good inter-rater reliability. That being said, if uh, what does have good inter-rater reliability is objective measures. Now, how long it lasts, is again very similar to what we were talking about before in Cairo. Like a lot of people feel great uh, and move better after passive uh, manipulations, uh, but it doesn't last if you don't do any motor control uh, approach, uh, which can include strengthening, which I, again, not a word that I use, uh, but uh, dry needling hands down is uh, the most powerful manual therapy that I have access to. So for the people listening who have no idea what dry needling is, can you give like a summary of how it's applied, what it does to the body, and like if yeah. someone had certain injuries, what dry needling can do for them? Very, uh, I can even make it simpler than that. Instead of using my hand, I'm using my needle. Uh, now obviously the needle can go deeper, the needle can be more precise, but they're cousins, like they're doing the same thing. They're changing the uh, immediate sensory environment of the tissue uh, hopefully, the body uh, recognizes this input as something non-noxious, and you will have an acute shift in the organism's system. Now, that again, that can be humoral, hormonal, central, uh, and these changes, and mechanical, the, the tissue itself uh, can have a mechanical change. And with that in mind, you now have a window to do the next thing that'll have a more of a lasting change. So if I crack your neck and it moves better, I can put a needle in your neck and it will move better. Uh, better, who says what better is? That's all part of what is better. Like that's where things get all up in the air. But uh, it, it has incredible impact, uh, very similarly to anything 
that touches the skin. You mentioned scraping, manual therapy, cupping. The, all these things are like cousins. Now, needling goes deeper. Uh, it affects multiple layers of tissue, including the periosteum of the bone. Uh, so the more uh, different parts of the body that the needle traverses, now you've got multiple sensory motor inputs that could have multiple responses, hopefully all positive, because not everything works for everybody. So the, the easy way to describe it is if, if I have a chance to use my hand to impact the system positively, most of the time I can use a needle. It doesn't always mean I will, because uh, obviously I can use my hand in certain places which a, with, with much less risk of potential harm. Uh, now, I think it's asinine to think that um, uh, people aren't safe to do needling. You just do it the right way, or you just stay away from certain areas, uh, et cetera. So that's asinine. Um, that's just somebody like an acupuncturist who doesn't like that somebody is etching into their uh, financial market. Uh, that's that's ridiculous. Or just like how in some states in America, um, I am not allowed to manipulate. I can't you know, do that. But I can do a grade five mobilization, which looks uh, very, very similar to uh, uh, a manipulation. So the, you know, that it's clearly high, high levels of, of safety. Um, and, and really the big difference uh, when it comes to those issues is uh, dry needling has very Western, very, very uh, appropriate science to describe what's happening. Now, I wouldn't get into that with a, a patient. I would just say, I'm just using a needle instead of my hands, and I think we can get a better response. Uh, if you don't want a needle, I'll just stick my thumb into your uh, Terry's minor, and I'm going to hold it there for two minutes, and we're going to get a very, the physiology is different, but we're going to probably get a very similar response when we're done. No, that was really well said, and the fact that you brought up cupping, I wanted to get into that next, because I work with one chiro, and she absolutely loves to use cupping for treatment, and I know another chiro that does not believe in it at all, so I'm kind of curious on your take and what you think about it. Well, if they're your friends, I hope they're listening. I would pass judgment on I pass judgment on both of them. Okay. You, you don't. No one is allowed to love anything except success. And if you're going to tell me that everyone is successful with cupping, uh, I think we need to to kind of you know lose their person's phone number. And to suggest that cupping doesn't work for anybody because you don't like it. I mean, what do you mean you don't like it? What, it's a piece of plastic. What, it, what, it didn't do anything to you. You mean you don't like it? Maybe you're using it wrong. Maybe you're using it on the wrong people. Maybe your evaluation process is garbage, and you just think putting cupping on somebody should create a response. So uh, cupping is, again, affecting certain tissues to create a mechanical change, mechanical transduction. Uh, and after that, if that change is recognized, both, whether it's the autonomic system or mechanically, um, it's think of it like this: uh, how you know whether it's needling, cupping, scraping, manual therapy, blah blah blah. Like we love, like what a, from from the very uh, uh, time we're born, like we 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 like being held. Um, you know, we show affection by kissing or holding hands. Um, there's entire uh, systems, uh, whether we pass judgment on them or not, of manual therapy of the ears and the feet. There is a common bond to all of these areas that I just mentioned. Their representation in the sensory motor uh, uh, cortex and the homunculus, the, which is the areas in the brain that represent the body parts, these are all the largest areas. And by, by creating inputs, these are large areas of the brain that we can impact. 
And this is this is the body likes touch. And uh, now, if the body uh, has a, an enjoyable process, well, then why do we hold hands? Do we do it because uh, for years this was something that that we just thought we're supposed to do to show affection to others, or do we actually like our hands being touched? I think that's the basis of manual therapy. We like being touched and touching certain areas or with different uh, tools that, that you're questioning about, uh, the body creates a very uh, appreciative and favorable response, which can be measured uh, through not through the tissue, but through the autonomic nervous system or some of the more central factors. And this is all like very easy to find out. And I think uh, uh, to suggest that I need to do this for everybody, because that's ridiculous. But to suggest that it doesn't work for anybody and I don't like it, what do you mean you don't like it? Like, like that doesn't even make any sense. It's a piece of plastic with a with a air thing to it. What do you mean you don't? But did, did it did it grow hands and slap you so now you don't like it? Yeah, it's just ridiculous. I don't like cupping. But it doesn't even. That this person has more problems than 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 his appreciation of of, of cupping. Um, but uh, the other the other thing is that needling, cupping, scraping, it doesn't matter. If you don't do the right thing after it, or maybe even beforehand, maybe you need to do something before cupping, and then cupping works brilliantly. And but you still have to do something after cupping to create the motoric changes. Uh, otherwise, you would have needed to cup in the first place. You would have just been lifting heavy things and putting them down. Uh, so it's it's you can't to 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 uh, evaluate the um, clinical merit of these different techniques requires a brilliant clinical approach. Uh, which is more than the uh, psychomotor skill of cupping <laughs> or needling. That's one thing you got to you got to actually be good at doing it. Anyone can learn how to do that. But not, we also need to have a very very uh, uh, robust timeline uh, uh, and assembly line, if you will, of how we're going to uh, affect the system according to the person's goals and needs. No, oh, I love how direct you are. That's awesome. <laughs> um. yeah, but I mean, I, 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 I you can see, I'll, I'll choose, you know, different uh, verbal tones because if someone's going to listen to this for this education, no one likes or doesn't like anything. You, 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 you know what you, people are allowed to like? And I say that you're allowed to like winning and you don't like losing. But if you're if one person says that they're winning with cupping and the other person saying they're losing with cupping, it can't both be right. Like they, they one of them is right and one of them is wrong. So it's uh, I think they're both full of shit because you know like I I I, I have I, I use cupping with a lot of people. I don't use it with everyone. Why? That's very difficult for me to express because I don't because they're all very very much the same. I I I can like ah you know what larger body parts you know like I don't even you know um, long track of nerves to uh, create relaxation around soft tissue because if there's a large nerve there's also a large vein maybe we can change venous return and change pain from an osteopathic approach you know there's different times for different things but you. you Either, uh, it doesn't make any. It, it's it's they're they got more problems. They're they're probably suck at everything. So that's uh, <laughs> you know if they're if they're gonna come if they're if they can be so direct and comment on one micro portion of of all interventions, dude, they're looking at the wrong things. Let's talk about you know evaluation and 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 understanding every joint in the body in a very reasonable period of time, uh, so we can go down the right rabbit holes. All right. Uh, next one that is up is laser therapy. And 
I don't think I've ever had anyone on this show talk about laser therapy, and I'm kind of curious about your opinion, both the hot laser and cold. I, I think your uh, your stretch is going to continue because I don't know a lot about it. You know, no, fair enough. Same thing. I mean, if you use laser and then do a whole bunch of really good things afterwards, because that's what you do. You can't just laser somebody for however many minutes and expect that to be a complete program. I think you can always change pain because um, there is some sensory uh, input from cold or hot laser. Um, I don't even, I think there's a dramatic difference between the two from what I understand. Um, it, lo it looks very lazy to me, um, but there's people that, I don't know if I look up to or respect, like I don't think you know, there's there's people somewhere that are like, yeah, we got them. Like, like I don't think, you know, if people see good results with laser, then that's cool. Like, I don't, I don't, but they got to be doing other things after the laser. Um, I tend to think that. So which which one costs like 25 grand? That that's that's class four or something, right? I think that's the hot laser is the most expensive okay. one. Yeah. So so I would probably put more credence in that, not because it's more expensive, but because it has you know more years of technology and i think there's more there's more research to say that the accumulation of i guess we're going to call it thermal energy that that is imparted to the body is probably under the same physiological and i'm just talking out of my ass right now i don't i don't really know i'm just talking you know because that's what this is uh, people are allowed to talk and i'm just qualifying what i'm saying it's the same kind of it's probably uh, uh trying to address the same physiology as the cheaper older models of laser it just it's not, not enough it's not enough juice it's not enough power it, it doesn't have enough of a half-life um yeah because that's how ultrasound and and shockwave work like shockwave is the same as nonsensical ultrasound that that if it's not plugged in you know that, but at the same time, that ultrasound, you know, stupid ultrasound unit uh, goes deeper at one hertz than it does at 3.3 hertz, and it creates heat if you have it at a continuous mode. That, that actually happens. It doesn't matter to the body, but the machine is actually doing that. And I think the difference from what I understand of the ultrasound and shockwave is that it's just more in a safer fashion. I'm guessing that's how the laser works too. But nothing works in isolate, and nothing works for everybody. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't. I, I have no use for for laser. Uh, I, there's a, I'm going hands, needles, elbows, scrapers, cupping. I mean, there's. I I just think there's. But like, what do I know? I I don't, I don't know. It's uh, if some. I I'm very. Um, there are people that I would obviously not on not not on a public forum, but I would you know I would suggest given what I think I know and what I think what I do know that they are out and out charlatans like they are they're lying and they're um, they're saying things that are false they're targeting certain people um, I'm not sure that's the case with laser I, I just don't know um, I think very people get real excited on certain things and I'm one of them. I'm not excited about laser. Nope. Fair enough. Um, the other question I wanted to get into is, you know, what condition do you have, you know, a difficult time treating with somebody? Because I know, like, every therapist wishes that they can do everything, but they're sometimes just good at one thing. So maybe can you, like, touch on what, you know, condition you have a tough time with? Um... I hesitate to answer, but it's not because nothing is yeah. hard for me. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, um, because it, it's not a it's not a musculoskeletal. It's the psychological piece. It's it's uh, the hardest. 
So it, it can be anything from a musculoskeletal standpoint or even a medical diagnosis, but it's when it's false or it's not the whole story. So when someone comes in and says, I have this, this, and this, or this is inhibited, this is facilitated, blah, blah, blah. So they're telling me lots of information, very specific. And I'm thinking, and sometimes I actually say this uh, because it's more of a bio-psycho issue uh, 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 than a... No, no, it's, it's more of a psychosocial issue than a bio issue. Like, bi everything is some form of bio-psychosocial. Bio um, I'm like, if you know what the problem is, what do you need me for? Because uh, you have to sometimes, you know, knock them in the mouth a little bit in order to, to break, you know, you, they, they hold all the power. And when people have diagnoses, and even pain, it's what defines them. It's who they are as a person after a while. And uh, I find the most challenge when they go to, they, they just believed the wrong thing from the wrong person, especially when that person is a medical doctor. And to think that the medical doctor is right about everything uh, when they're clearly not, uh, you got to tiptoe. And not because I'm afraid of the doctor, like we're, we're equal and, and uh, it's not like I have to do anything the doctor says, but I do have to help this person who's paying me uh, for, for my time. And, and, and th that's the most challenge. Like how do you um, create an environment when there's less wrong with the muscles, nerves, and bones, but there's more wrong with their core beliefs in their brain? Um, and how they socially interact with their above-board bones, nerves, and, and muscles and fascia. So um, that's probably what's hardest to, for me to, to create that connection and break them down. Um, I'm very, very good at explaining to people that I'm right. I am not very good. In fact, I'm probably terrible at explaining to other people why they're wrong. So um, the how, do you, how do I achieve that is, is probably the most difficult thing that I have to do in one-on-one uh, -on -one situations. Okay, fair enough. And I'm happy you brought up the topic of pain because like, I find pain really interesting because it differs from person to person. And I remember like way, way back, there was a situation with a physiotherapist with this one patient where he came in with back pain. He treated him for, I think maybe two months, for example, and the guy would come in all the time and say, my back hurts, my back hurts. And then they, you know, touch it, uh, tested toe touch, extension, you know, left side bend, right side bend. And the guy's like, oh, I have no pain doing those motions, but my back hurts. And I'm wondering like, if maybe your body has actually recovered, but maybe your brain or nervous system is just still sending you pain That's signals. absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's probably more complicated than the way you said it in terms of yeah. the nervous system sending brain signals. I'm not sure that's that's how sure. uh, it, it works, to my understanding of of science. But um, but pain does not have to be associated with uh, what any one individual would report or evaluate or uh, suggest is out of range. Uh, motor performance. So you describe things that were very much in range. Uh, if they couldn't touch their toes, maybe you would say that's out of range. Neither of those situations uh, are directly correlated to pain. Uh, the, the pain can happen in any type of situation. 
situation. Uh, it can happen, you know, it's a it's a false alarm, if you will. Like it doesn't have to be uh, the building being broken into. So uh, as far as the the what is what really is happening, uh, the it, again it can be a number of different things, but maybe their back used to hurt. Um, and now it's uh, for something that did have a link to a musculoskeletal model, but it didn't have to. You can talk someone out of pain. You can feed someone out of pain. You can medicate someone out of pain. Uh, it's like this wet willy that you can't touch. Like it's, it's so many different things. And the individual's core beliefs are also a significant part about this. Before pain science became a very, very powerful topic and unfortunately very polarizing topic uh, uh, on social media, uh, I learned about pain science in the United States Marine Corps, where the greatest warriors on this planet do not report pain the same way as other humans. Sometimes, and I'll, and I'll run, uh, I'll, I'll take the chance of the lack of insensitivity, um, but different genders will report pain differently. Uh, different ethnic uh, um, um, you know, upbringings will have, diff you know, Helga from, from Finland will report pain differently than Maria Consuela Lupita from, from, from San Juan, Puerto Rico. Like that's, that, that, that's not gonna surprise anyone because our culture and upbringing and our beliefs is what we think is happening to our body. If I told you that uh, you needed to have a disectomy and the la the, 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 every time that you heard disectomy, it was five people that lived on your street and they're all walking with a cane after surgery. Your back is gonna hurt way more and I would not. I would. I would say, like, dude, we, we need to. We, we don't do this. You're, you're gonna lose. Like, it, it, it cannot. You cannot defeat the brain when it comes to these core beliefs because that word disectomy has an emotional connection to what you see with these other people, and that's really what pain is. Pain is what you believe. If I give you medicine and the pain goes away, it can't be your knee. It can't be like what is the, the what does it do? Like what does the medicine do? It, it's a chemical that creates you know, links with other things in the body so that things, your brain changes how it feels. You're, you're, it's, it's not a, um, you know, like how does an anti-inflammatory work? Well, there's prostaglandins in, in the fluid of anti-inflammatory. So if we take a COX-2 inhibitor, they bind and the prostaglandins go away. All of a sudden the fluid uh, is, it, it leaves the, is uh, flushed throughout the area, uh, terrible word, but it's, the fluid is no longer in the area that was injured and now you can move your knee more. You know, it was it the anti-inflammatory that worked? Was it the lack of fluid that it worked? Or was it that you're now moving, your brain recognizes that your knee moves, nothing's that bad and your knee feels better. It's all of the above. And that's really, um, you know, if pain is the, is the target, but there's no musculoskeletal approach, now anything can work. And, and it's probably not why we learned it. Um, I have tremendous. Uh, I, I get. I don't think I. I start on second base, but maybe I have a big lead off of first base. Where if people are going to see me, where there's some perception that I'm like this genius, and they're paying a whole lot of money to see me in the greatest city in the world, I'm ahead. I'm ahead because I'm the one that's going to do it. Like they're going to invest, and I'm the one that's going to do it. And it's not because I put the needle in their back any differently than what someone else could have. It's because they believe. And um, that's what pain is, and how you communicate with people, and how you make them feel. Sometimes I'm the only one that's ever actually talked to them, 
or I'm the only one that did look at toe touch and backward bending and twisting and reaching and etc. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's an incredibly multivariate nonlinear uh, approach uh, when pain is your primary target, and you have these uh, very minimal windows to intervene using a musculoskeletal model. No, oh, that was really well put and. Because we're running out of time, I think we'll leave it there because I feel like you can just talk forever. Um, so maybe... Uh, I talk, you try to tell me I talk too much. <laughs> no, that, that's good. This makes my job easier. Yeah. Um, so maybe for the last question, can you tell the audience where they can find you online? If you have any projects coming out or anything else you want to plug on my show, you can. Uh, website is charlieweingroff.com. And uh, we've been doing more vlogs lately than... Uh, than anything else, I really just don't have the time to, or whatever. I'm not, I'm not putting out as much of a written stuff. But you know, every once in a while, I go back and see some of the stuff that I wrote many years ago, and it's still like, yeah, I wrote that. Like it's, it's still uh, somewhat of a consistent message. And uh, so, uh, Charlie Weingroff on Facebook, C uh, Wagon 75 on Twitter, and uh, the big stuff that whether it's uh, you know on, from my website is the DVD series of Training Goals Rehab, where there's three different ones. There's uh, other things that uh, on Target Publishing. And uh, I think that's that's uh, that's pretty much it. I think upcoming in uh, the rest of the summer, I'll be in Chicago and Long Beach uh, for Perform Better, where there's an hour and 15 lecture and an hour and 15 hands-on, and uh, and then I'll be doing a two-day seminar in Toronto. Uh, see, I, I do have a Canadian accent too, and. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure that's August 11th and 12th, and you can find that on my website. Or uh, I'm working for some good folks uh, out your way. Uh, Somatic Senses is the is the host, and yep. we're doing that in, uh, uh, the, in in Toronto, which will be um, a two-day version of the of the third DVD. Awesome! So thank you so yeah. much for your time. This was amazing. All right, man. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Hopefully, uh, this was uh, of use for everybody. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 152 with Dr. Charlie Weingroff. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode as much as I did because he is plain amazing. If you want to find out more about Charlie and his DVD series, and if you're a coach, I highly recommend you check out Training Equals Rehab, Rehab Equals Training because it's one of my favorite um, continuing education things out there, both 1, 2, and 3. Um, And just a heads up, I will be releasing the link to purchase your very own Cut to Shit Get Fit t-shirt on August 1st. So it's coming up really quick. I just got to put the website together to make sure I can get payments done and get it shipped to you. So just hang on tight and I will definitely have some sweet t-shirts for you all. And remember, they won't be on sale until next year for the anniversary of this lovely podcast. And until then, thank you, everyone. And make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family. See you later, you guys.